0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you all again. This is our second time this year back to Forest, and it is wonderful to see all these people here worshiping the Lord together, and I understand that your Ukrainian contingent is growing. I celebrate that with you. Of course, we served as missionaries in Ukraine from 1993 until 2016, so yes, we Poruski. It is a pleasure to be able to serve this morning. Uh, We currently are serving as President of ABWE Canada. That stands for Cross Borders for World Evangelism, which kind of explains what we do. We cross borders and we share the gospel with peoples around the world, uh, fulfilling the Great Commission that the Lord left for us and that is to make disciples among every people group around the world. And we also come alongside churches and assist them to be able to have the resources and the training to reach the unreached people groups who are right here in your own community. So we just want to thank you for reaching out to our Ukrainian brothers and sisters during their time of need and welcoming them and giving them a church home where they can become a part of here. So it's good to see that taking place. And I also want to recognize the fathers in the room, the grandfathers, uh, those who are on the front lines of the cultural battle for our children today. It is a very critical role, and we thank you for being faithful in that and taking that responsibility seriously. We're going to be looking together from the Gospels in the Gospel of Luke. So if you would open your Bibles or your devices, if you would like to follow along. Uh, In just a moment, I'll be reading that passage from Luke chapter 17. We're going to be looking at one of the parables of Jesus this morning. But before we jump into that, let me ask you a question. How many of you are dog lovers? Okay, That's really a small number. (laughs) I was expecting a few more than that. I am not a dog lover. I will say that right now. In fact, on three different occasions, I have been bitten by dogs. They do not have a good relationship with me. I was always afraid of dogs growing up, until one day, being a good father on Father's Day, it wasn't Father's Day, but I realized that my children were in the bedroom, all huddled in a little circle, and they were praying that Dad would convince their dad to buy them a puppy. And so... On one woeful day in Odessa, Ukraine, I headed down to the market to find a guard dog for our institute, where I was serving in the Church Ministries Institute. We didn't find a guard dog, but we did see this little tiny Belonka puppy there in a little playpen. So I shelled out the 30 bucks, and I paid for this little puppy, and we adopted him into our family. I have no idea what I was thinking. It was a very weak moment for me. (laughs) And I will say that this little Bolonka grew up. It's a Russian breed, and his name was Benji. Benji loved me very much. It was not always reciprocal. (laughs) And I learned very quickly the difference between dogs and cats. You know, dogs think to themselves, my master cares for me. My master feeds me. My master loves me. Isn't my master wonderful? And that's kind of the way Benji thought. Cats, on the other hand, think to themselves, my master cares for me, my master feeds me, my master loves me, I must be wonderful. (laughs) So it's a very different relationship. And so Benji was a dog, and being a good dog, he wanted nothing else than to please the master of the house, and he learned very quickly that I was the master of our home. And so Benji would bring me socks in the morning when I got out of bed. Now, he couldn't find my socks, so usually there were little small pink socks that belonged to one of my girls that he would bring to me in the morning, But, but he wanted to do something for me. He was trying to please me in any way that he could, even though I wasn't the one to feed him, I wasn't the one that took him for walks. He did it simply because he knew that I was the master of the house and his job was to serve me and to please me, even if that was not reciprocal. And perhaps that's why so many people like dogs, maybe not in this crowd, but usually a lot of people like dogs, because they're not like people, they're very different than people. Because so often, people often will do things for you, have you noticed, they they do things for you just to get something in return. You think even of students, why do they work so hard on their assignments or, or, or preparing a paper? It's it's not just out of love for the teachers because they want to get a good grade. They want to get something back. Or what about employees in the workplace? You work hard and you try to work hard, but often it's so that you can receive a higher salary. Maybe you'll get a pay raise, maybe a promotion. Even sometimes I wonder in the church if people sometimes serve in the church with the hope that maybe somebody will recognize what they do. Maybe somebody will... will, will thank them or or to look good in front of other people. It's so hard in this world to find people that serve with, with a pure motive, that don't do it, trying to get something back in return. And as we head into this parable, Jesus is going to teach an important lesson here in that God expects us to serve and obey him, not to get something in return, but simply because that's our duty, out of love for our master, Because that's what we were created to do. And so turn with me, if you would, if you haven't already gotten there, to Luke 17. and You can follow along, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 7, and then we'll dive into the text. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at the table. Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Let's begin right in verse 7 and define a key word here and that's the word servant. Now, when we hear that word servant, it means something considerably different in our Canadian culture than the actual meaning of the word here in in verse 7. What does it mean to be a servant of the Lord, to be a servant of God? Now, this term is often used in in Greek. It's doulos. You may have heard that term somewhere. It's used in the New Testament often to refer to believers, to, to church members, Often we change servant, especially in the Russian language. I know servant, refers to a pastor. But the idea of servant here is not referring to a pastor or a church leader or a staff member. The word servant is referring to any believer in Jesus Christ, is a servant. So in our culture, that word servant is pretty soft we think, well, a servant would be somebody who maybe serves tables, who serves you on, on an airplane, it's kind of like a, a job or a part-time job. Maybe even it might be a volunteer role. I serve in the nursery. I serve in other projects in the church. So we often think of servanthood as, as, as being something that we volunteer to do. And yet the actual word here, doulos, meant something very different in the first century. Perhaps a better translation than servant would be slave. This was a person who was a bond servant, as we read in some translations, or a slave. A slave belonged to the slave's owner who had purchased him for a price. And this person now belonged to the master and was the slave. Now, it wasn't quite like... You might think in the South in the United States before the Civil War, but, but all the same, it was a role where this person's sole purpose was to serve and do whatever the Master asked him to do. In the same way, we're called servants or slaves of God. We're slaves of Jesus Christ because he has redeemed us. He has, he has purchased us with the price of his own blood on the cross. He has purchased us out of slavery, so we are no longer in bondage to slavery, but we belong now to God. And so what is our duty? We now are slaves of God who has purchased us, and so just like the slaves in the first century, we are now slaves in order to obey and to serve our master. And so given that understanding of what is meant here by the word servant, let's continue and and look at this Text And here we can see two characteristics of a servant, as Jesus told this, this parable, this story. The first characteristic is that they put service before rest. And the second characteristic that we see in this parable is that they're motivated by duty and not by reward. So let's break those down. The first one is that they put service before rest. We see this in verse 7. Well, any one of you who has a servant or a slave who's out plowing in the fields or they're they're keeping sheep, this is in an agricultural context, when they come in from the field and they get home at the end of the day after working all day, would any of you say, come and recline at the table? Now, this might seem like a reasonable expectation, especially in our culture. The guy's worked pretty hard. He's been out in the field. He's been tending to my flocks. He's been out working in the fields all day. It's been hot. He comes in and sweaty. Now, often we would think, well, I would probably, when he comes in, say, why don't you take a break and go and recline at the table and and have something to eat? But that was a very foreign concept in the first century. They would never do that. And the assumption of verse 7 is that's ridiculous. Why would you do that? Because he's supposed to continue serving. He's not done yet. And so it says here, after he's plowed and kept kept the sheep. You would never say to him when he comes in the field, come at once and recline at the table. You would never say this guy deserves a break. No, the master doesn't think he deserves a break at all. He's he's your property. He's working for you. And so verse 8, he says, will the master not rather say to him, prepare supper for me? Like, you're not done. You go get supper. Go Go make something for me. Now, he's been working all day. He's hot. He's tired. And, and the master is expected to say to him, no, you go into the kitchen and make me dinner. I haven't eaten yet. What do you do in reclining at the table? Get off. Don't be lazy. Go serve me something. Go cook me something. And then he says, and then after he's prepared supper for me, we're not done. He said, now dress properly and get out of your your farm clothes and, and go dress yourself up nicely. And now it's time for you to go and serve me while I eat and drink. So imagine this. And this is just an assumption in that culture that this is natural." that this is what should happen because this person is a slave. So picture that, he comes back, he's tired, he's hot, he's sweaty, he says, okay, now go in the kitchen. So he goes in the kitchen, he's spending a couple hours there, making a meal, getting it ready, and then he thinks, oh, now I can lie down and rest. He says, no, you go get changed. So he goes, has a shower, he gets dressed up nicely, and he says, okay, now you come and serve me. I'm sitting at the table, I'm waiting for you to bring, like, at this point, I think most of us would say, like, Go get it yourself. I mean, come on, (laughs) give me a break. I've done all of this for you already. It's time for me to kick back and relax a little bit. You can at least get up from the table and go to the kitchen and get the food yourself. But he says, no, a master doesn't do that. He expects him to now come and serve. And after the master has finished eating and drinking and goes off to bed, only then can the servant help himself and have his own time or go to bed or whatever at that point. Now, the servant could have easily developed a bad attitude here in this parable, and and reading it through our minds, our modern minds, we would think, well, yeah, I'd have a bad attitude at this master. This guy is a real bad guy, except that he remembered who he was. He was no more than a slave. That was his job, day in and day out, with no break. That was simply his job. That was what he was supposed to do, because that was his role that was what was expected now here's a question as we as we apply that and move that into the the 21st century is it ever okay for a christian to rest we've already identified that all of us as christians those who have placed our faith in jesus christ are now his slaves we are his servants to him is it ever okay for us to take a break or should we be like this guy here in the parable now i admit that i do enjoy a day off every now and then and in fact i think embedded in scripture is a command for believers to take a sabbath day rest and there's a reason for that god himself created in six days and on the seventh day he rested and that was intended to be a model for us so that we work six days and on the seventh day we rest somehow it's been changed to five days and two days rest but i digress I think the reason that we take that time and rest and the reason that we're commanded to have that Sabbath day rest is because without adequate rest, we wouldn't be able to continue serving at our full capacity. But the idea here is that the ultimate purpose in our lives as Christians is service unto the Lord. Now we rest in order that we can serve better. It's not the other way around. You see, so often in our Canadian culture, We think that the whole goal is to work a little bit so that you can save up money to rest, so you can get time off to rest. But the real goal here is the rest, is the leisure. Because I think our Canadian culture has become obsessed with leisure, that that is somehow the goal, the purpose for our life, and we work as a means to the end of the leisure rather than having the leisure rest as the means towards the end goal, which is working and serving. You see how we kind of have that a little bit backwards? We're told that we need to take several weeks of vacation a year. We need long weekends, lots of long weekends. We need to have time to ourselves so we can play computer games or be engaged in sports or watch TV or movies. That's really the goal so often in our culture for people. Or... For those who are perhaps middle-aged like myself, our goal is to retire as quickly as possible, as young as we can. Save up our money so we can quit our jobs so that we can complete our bucket list. (laughs) Do all those things that we've always wanted to do. And it usually involves traveling or starting a new hobby or doing something just for me, my own me time. It's interesting uh, if we look in scripture, I wonder where the concept of retirement even fits in scripture. If we are truly servants, slaves of the Lord, is our goal to retire as quickly as we can and do nothing and just spend our time for ourselves? And where does ministry fit into this picture? Someone may think, oh well, we, we pay staff at the church to do the ministry. That's their job. You know, they, they get paid to do that. We don't have, we're free. We don't have to do that because we don't get any money from the church. Or perhaps some might think, well, I, I give weekly to the church. It's kind of like a, a membership fee, kind of, you know, like at a YMCA. And if you ever got a membership at a YMCA, you pay your money and then you get all these services for every member of your family. They care for your children. They do child care. They, they serve your needs. They meet your needs. They come and visit you when you're sick. And unfortunately, that's the way some people look at church, isn't it? I pay a little bit of money, and so the church now should serve me. The church staff needs to meet my needs. One of my role models in life has been a pastor, friend, a dear friend in Ukraine by the name of Petya. Petya was a pastor. He was a church planner. He was many things. He served on a number of Christian organizations. He was on our board. Uh, he just always was do seemed to be doing something, and when he had any spare time, he'd be finding an unsaved person, or he'd be having someone over, or he'd be discipling someone, or he'd be heading back to the church. And I remember one day I said to Pastor Payton, "I said Payton, when do you- when do you rest? Like, do you ever rest?" And his answer was, "Oh, I'll rest when the job is finished, <laughs> and I'm with Christ. <laughs> That's when I'll rest. He's resting today. Of course, he did rest." He did spend time with his family. He did enjoy a nice cup of tea with some friends and, and did things like that. But for, for Peter, one of his life verses was Philippians one twenty one. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. <laughs> he said, when I die, that will be gain because I'll forever be with my master. But for now, for me to live is Christ. My whole life revolves around Christ and serving Him with all of my energy and with all of my strength. And as long as we are in this world, until the Lord takes us to be with Him, the Great Commission must take priority above everything else in our lives. You know the Great Commission, right? The Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28, where it says we are to Make disciples of every people, baptizing them and and teaching them and going into all the world. There's an incredible task that God has given and assigned to each one of us as his disciple, as disciples of Jesus Christ. And that is to use all of our gifts, to exercise our spiritual gifts that he's given to us, to use our time, to use our energy, to use our resources to help accomplish that goal of making disciples of every people, both here in this in the town of forest and around the world as well and why do we do that we do that because we are servants of Jesus Christ and that is our duty not because we're going to get something in return not so that we can have free time we're doing it because our job is to serve Jesus Christ with our lives so the first thing that we see here about the servant about servants of Jesus Christ is that they put service before rest. We can't juxtapose that and say we rest primarily and we have to serve so that we can rest. No, the, the, the service comes first place. And only after we have done all that has been asked of us, only then can we take the time for ourselves that we need. But the second characteristic that we see here of, of servants of Jesus Christ is that they're motivated by duty and not by reward. And so we move into verse 9 here, and it begins with a rhetorical question. He says, does he thank the servant? In other words, does the master thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So let's go back to our story here. We have this guy has been working out in the field, this slave, he's been tending the sheep, he's been out out with the crops and in the fields, and he comes in, and the master says, okay, now cook me dinner. So he goes in the kitchen, he's making dinner, it's dark, it's the end of the day, and then he says, okay, now change. So he goes back to his room, he gets all dressed up, makes himself look nice. He says, okay, now I'm I'm waiting, I'm sitting at the table, come and bring me dinner. So he brings him dinner. And then we get to verse 9, and it says, does the master thank him for doing that? <laughs> wow. You know, and, Canadian culture we like to thank people don't we like have you noticed like have you go to the checkout counter and you're standing in line and it's like how many times do you hear thank you it's like there's two people get there before some, and they say no you first no you oh thank you thank you and then he goes ahead and then she says hello nice to see you thank you and then you're thanking her and for taking your money and she's thanking you for giving the credit card and then they thank you for doing the bags like we we are a culture that loves to thank one another i think that's great i mean i think that's nice it's good to thank people but then we get to this this parable in verse nine and jesus says does the master thank the servant because he did all of that for him now, probably if we were the master in that scenario, we would be sitting profusely saying, thank you so much. Thank you so much for spending all day in the field. Thank you for this dinner. It's so lovely. Thank you for getting all dressed up nicely for me. Thank you for serving me. And then, you know, head off to bed. Thank you so much. You've done such a great job. But, but that's not what we read here in verse nine. Does the master thank the servant because he just did what was commanded and the assumption is of course not why would he all he did was what was expected of him now i will say in ukrainian culture people tend not to be quite as quick to say thank you as they are in canadian culture i used to when i first moved to ukraine and we had a number of staff worked in the institute uh, for me and and I used to always want to thank them for every time they did something thank you so much or thank you for preparing that report thank you for that meal until finally my Ukrainian friends when they got bold enough they came to me and said would you please stop thanking me you're embarrassing me I'm only doing my job why are you thanking me over and over now there's nothing wrong with saying thank you but at the same time because we are servants of God we serve the lord out of a sense of duty we don't serve the lord because we're waiting for someone to say thank you now that's a little tough to hear but have you ever done something in the church or you've done something you feel some kind of ministry and nobody recognized you maybe you're the one that that comes in on a work day or you work out in the garden or you're you're doing something in the church to kind of make it tidy up so it looks nice for people and then you kind of come in on Sunday morning and you're kind of hoping somebody notices and nobody does. It's like, ugh, I did all that work and nobody said thank you. Nobody recognized me. The point here is that as we're serving our Lord, we're not doing it to be thanked. Now there will come a day where Jesus will say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We will hear that someday. And yet in the meantime, We ought to be serving the Lord on a regular basis and not wait for the thanks. To do it simply because that's our duty. Because that's what's expected of us as servants. And so verse 10 goes on here. It says, so you also... Now he's pointing directly towards his disciples. So up until this point, he's been talking about his hypothetical story about the servant serving and doesn't need to be thanked he's just doing what was commanded and then in verse 10 he turns his attention to us as his disciples he said so you also when you have done all that you were commanded say this we are no more than unworthy servants we have only done that which was our duty Now, our job is to do all that God commands us, and that includes the Great Commission that we talked about, to go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. My question is, are are our lives an outflow of this Great Commission? Are our lives characterized by an unending desire and a duty to fulfill that great commission with all of our strength until the day that we die. And then at the end of the day, why are we doing what we do? Are we doing it to get recognized? Are we doing it to be thanked? Or are we doing it simply because that is what we ought to do as believers? What's remarkable to me about this parable that we've just read is that there's an assumption here that the servant will do his duty, There's no question on Jesus' mind. He said, this is what every believer will do. There's no question. It's just assumed that every believer will be just like this servant. Why wouldn't we be? We've been redeemed from bondage to slavery to sin. Jesus has given us eternal life with him. Why would we not want to spend every moment of our lives serving him with every strength of our being? And yet, Often we see that that's more the exception in the Christian life than it is the rule, the norm, and it should be the norm. If God has redeemed us, this should come naturally. Now, a, a while back, I, I read a story about a uh, doctor. His name was Dr. Kent Brantley. He was serving in he was a medical doctor serving in Africa during the time of the Ebola breakout a number of years back. If you recall that, and as he was serving different patients with Ebola, he ended up actually getting the Ebola virus himself. And he, his life was ended in a very tragic way. And so one person who was close to Dr. Kent Brantley wrote, wrote these words about him, which I think are very appropriate in light of the parable that we just read. These are the words that he wrote. He said, Kent has been called a hero. Of course, he is in the sense of having courage and great strength of character, But he would tell you himself that he is just living the normal Christian life that every Christian should live. He is simply a Christian disciple, denying himself, taking up his cross, and following Jesus as Christians have done for millenniums. He is simply laying down his life for others as Christ laid down his life for him. In many ways, there is nothing unusual about Dr. Kent Brantley's willingness to travel to Africa, risk his life, and treat those who are suffering with Ebola while he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Because really, that kind of servitude, that kind of service ought to be our natural response as servants of God. Now, I'm not suggesting that you all take up medicine and travel to Africa and treat Ebola patients. That's not the point here. I'm not suggesting that you all join ABWE as missionaries, although that would be wonderful, but that's not, that's not what I'm saying. The point is that we ought to be willing to go wherever our master calls and do whatever he asks us to do. Instead of being willing to go but plan to serve, plan to stay, we ought to be willing to stay but planning to go to wherever God calls us and respond to his call, wherever God leads us. May we be found serving him so that at the end of our lives, when we have done all that we were commanded to do by our master, we can say we are no more than unworthy servants. We have only done that which was our duty to do. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a powerful story that we read from the teaching of Jesus of this unworthy servant who recognized his role of one of servitude, who did not complain, who did not expect anything in return. And Father, may we be disciples, just like the the, the man in this story. May we be found doing what you have commanded us to do. May we be willing to serve you with our lives, wherever that may take us, whatever you ask of us, Father. And at the end of the day, Father, we acknowledge that we are unworthy servants before you. May we be found doing our duty for you, Father. That is my prayer for myself and for each one in this congregation. And Father, may you give us the strength. May you give us the the health. May you give us the ability to be able to serve you. We thank you for the spiritual gifts that you've given to us, Father. May you enable us to be able to serve you wholeheartedly with our whole lives, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.